2: With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills
3: make me wanna. Never seen it ever. Pop Warner, high school, college, pros. Never heard of it, never seen it. And it's just completely disrespectful when to his, he teammates. his teammates.
1: Did he say
0: anything to you? Veteran did he say anything to anybody? Did he I didn't
3: say nothing to nobody.
0: What? Yeah, you, you
3: know as much as I know. I know, I found out going in the second half. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That is my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was Lorenzo Alexander from his post-game interview with Bills.com. God, what a week, Chris. What a week to be alive.
2: I know, I should have done a secret bet that uh, I wouldn't see you past the second drive of the game.
3: It was too damn hot. I sat in the concourse drinking a beer in one hand, water in the other, watching the game on the TV behind the 200 section because it was just... Between my personal frustrations with some of the guys I have tickets with, between the heat—oh
2: yeah—we talked about that at the seats. I actually you, took
3: a dump at one point. The in first the stadium. time I've ever done it
2: at the stadium, up by the the uh, team store. It was yeah, team store bathroom.
3: It was so hot that I just couldn't bring myself. It's just uncomfortable whenever you have to go to the bathroom at the stadium, and then you come out and you just don't feel like a human anymore, and the sun is just baking you, and you're drowning in your own sweat because. You're still kind of a fat dude. I don't know if any of you guys out there have that problem, but I do. So I literally sat in the shade of the concourse well, yeah, for most of the first and all of the second, just watching the game on the TV. Yeah,
2: because you motherfucked <laughs> the other, the other two guys that we got seasons with, Dan and Potter, and we did, uh, don't. We talked about it. They asked me. They're like, "Oh, did he motherfuck you?" And I go, "Well, yeah, indirectly, because I started putting things in your truck." And I folded up one of our tables, put it in the truck, on the on the bed slid it all the way to the back corner and then i took another folding table folded it up put it on top of that and then i got off the truck to grab something else and then you were up there and you went who the fuck did this i know i know right why 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 would you want to put a table on top of a table folks it makes fault. no sense my
3: frustrations on sunday i'd say 50% of them were just a machination of my own just being a control freak when it comes to tailgating and just most things in general. And I mean, I've got a lot more, I've got a lot more people to cuss out as this show proceeds. But before we do that, I want to give a couple really special shout outs. First and foremost, Mike Swenson and the rest of his crew from Australia. Friday night, Chris and I had the pleasure of meeting up with one of our listeners, Mike Swenson, along with his friend, his brother, and his father. Who, were, who his father was going to be attending his very first Bills game at, what, I believe, 73 years old. They come all the way here from Queensland, Australia, and yet are avid Bills fans, and regularly make trips to the States for football games. I mean, he's got a brother who
2: goes to the Super Bowl almost every year. Cool, that, That's incredible. From Australia cool well, we ate it we went and met them at blackthorn cuz they needed to get chicken wings mhm i'm not kidding when i left blackthorn i called my friend lindsay i was telling her about it and i go every time they open their mouth they had cuz they had the they had that sexy australian <laughs> accent i told lindsay i told lindsay i go I'm sitting at a table talking to somebody that has an Australian accent, and all I can think in my head was Michael Hutchinson from NXS. <laughs> devil inside, devil inside. <laughs> Every single one of us. That's de- all, all I heard was NXS in my head. Well, I'll tell you this. I had a blast. I mean, just getting to meet not only listeners of the
3: podcast, but also just a bunch of genuine dudes. They, I mean, they're some of just the most genial people that I've ever met. I mean, they were outgoing, they were funny, genuine. We sat down and over wings and a few beers, we got to know each other, and they (laughs) we we discussed all of the nuances of NFL football compared to the nuances of rugby, the differences between all of the different Australian (laughs) League versions of rugby that are out there. And as a surprise, Mike brought me my very own Queensland Reds, rugby kit as a gift
2: and fit over your tits like a glove.
3: I am going to wear that thing all over the place. I can't wait for rugby to start being thrown around on TV. Oh, it's going
2: to be the best. Do you even know when rugby season is?
3: No, but I'm going to find out. That's <laughs> it. I see it randomly on TV and I get sucked into it and I want to understand it, but I can't because it's not football. But I think I've finally, thanks to Mike, it's friends have a handle on it. Oh, it was it was so much fun. You guys can come break bread with us anytime, all right, brother? And then I want to give another shout out to one of our followers on Twitter he's known as Super Mexican. <laughs> he showed up at our tailgate to stop by and say hi. And I want to I want to apologize, Super, because I didn't have a shirt on for like half the time you were there. But in my defense, I mean that sun was blazing.
1: It's so damn hot. Milk was a bad choice.
3: That is exactly how I felt. And I hope you didn't think stopping by our tailgate was a bad choice. And then, Chris, in what I think was probably one of the coolest experiences of the entire day, getting to go hang out with Ezra, Ezra Castillo, Mr. Poncho Bielan himself, Going over to Hammer's lot, meeting up with him and meeting up with his people, getting to meet his, uh, his girlfriend, getting to meet the, his friends who travel with him and do a lot of his promotion and things like that. That was really cool.
2: Yeah. Well, we also met that other dude there. And he, Ezra was like, you heard of the Rockpile Report? Said, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Damn straight, Bill Squatch makes me feel good. We're gonna have to.
3: We're definitely gonna have to get on the show at some point. He was a lot of fun to talk to. The whole thing was just. I mean, it was an incredible morning. And between Friday, between Sunday morning, just getting to connect with a lot of listeners of the show, and you know, Poncho and all of the other things that were going on. Thank you guys for making that morning just special for me. I mean, opening weekend is always. It's always a special weekend for me. And being at the stadium is just, it's like church for me. I enjoy it because it genuinely does give me the ability to look around and say, "You know, for all the things that I may not like about life, about the way things are going, at least I've I've got this. I've got this and it's fantastic. I'm surrounded by people who are all here for the same purpose. They're all here because they love the same thing. Win or lose, the same people show up every week. And it's just, there's something special about it. For those of you who are going to be traveling to Minnesota for the game, okay, Pancho Bila is going to be there this weekend. Here's his schedule if you want to meet up with him too. 9 a.m. on Saturday, Surly Brewing Company is running a 5K at Theodore Worth Park. He'll be running under the team name Stampeding with Spirit. Go check them out. And then on Sunday at 10 a.m., the Circle the Wagons march down to Government Plaza. It's a chance for Bills fans to get together, meet at the Embassy Suites Hotel, and as a group, just kind of march down through the city of Minnesota, down to Government Square or Plaza down there, and just kind of have kind of a a pre-party before the game.
2: Sounds a little late. 10 a.m.? I know, right? I mean, I've been to one Bills away game when I lived in Atlanta. I think it was 2009. Uh, I was... I got to my buddy's place at 6 a.m., and he got home from partying the night before at 5 a.m., <laughs> and then we took his, his camper to the Mallard, which is haggard, haggard, <laughs> this haggard camper down to the tailgate lot, and then we had like a DJ, and we were partying at 6.30 in the morning with a, with a DJ. That's how it should go. Exactly, at 10 a.m. Chris, that's why we always leave my house before the sun comes up. It's mandatory.
3: Folks, oh, we have so much to talk about tonight. Let's launch right into it with this week's Bill's News Update. Last week, we got some concerned emails and Facebook messages revolving around the fact that our last podcast, for reasons unknown to us, didn't manage to be picked up by the Podbean app and thus weren't forwarded on to Google the Google Play app, where a lot of people download our show. You know, listeners like Jay Hixonbaugh and Kevin Harrington both reached out to me to make sure that we were okay <laughs> because they didn't see a recorded show.
2: I guess that's what happens with like the RSS feed because you know iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher—they all grab the RSS feed from Podbean, and for for whatever reason beyond our control, it didn't work. Even though episode 124 is up for download, so it was just a technical glitch, folks.
3: But it was funny to see people messaging us asking if I was okay, (laughs) asking if I was okay after that horrific loss to Baltimore. Guys, I'm a Bills fan. One or a thousand losses like that aren't gonna get aren't gonna get me off the bandwagon, much less force us to quit this podcast. (laughs) So, I mean, in terms of quitting, we should probably uh, start tonight's conversation regarding everyone's favorite quitter right now, quarterback Vontae Davis. Forget it, I quit. I can't do this anymore, man. My head's about to explode. My whole life sucks. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. My dad just died. We just killed Bambi. I'm out here getting my ass kicked and every time I drive down the road, I want to jerk the wheel into a goddamn bridge in <laughs>
2: This dude is... I always say it on the show. I can't decide if He's a punk-ass bitch or a bitch-ass punk. I think he's both. I, he's both.
3: I, I don't know. Over the years, I've witnessed some crazy things happen around this football team, but I've got to say, this is a first. I mean, Chris, this has never happened before. This is unprecedented.
2: It's never happened before in
3: the NFL. <laughs> there were some strong words, as you heard in our intro, thrown around by Lorenzo Alexander. And... I'm sure if I listen to any of them, the local media has been all over it since Sunday. I mean, honestly, folks, I can't bring myself to listen to. And if some of you out there are WGR callers, I I, I don't. This isn't something against you. It's just about my inability to deal with just local sports takes and a lot of the callers. I mean, in general, the whole conversation, it makes me want to bite a chunk out of the steering wheel with my bulldog teeth, okay? Everyone involved with the conversation in the local media has a vested interest in it. So their opinions are, including Lorenzo Alexander, so their opinions are almost forced to be taken with a grain of salt. It was it was interesting to me hearing out of all the different pundits who came out, former NFL lineman and now NFL analyst Damian Woody, with his take on the game, because he was animated as hell, and he doesn't have
1: a horse in this race. As a player, there's nothing funny about this. There's, no, there's nothing funny about this. Honestly, I'm, sit, I'm sitting here right now, and my blood is boiling right now. Like, I would literally, like, want to fight this cat. Here it is. Because here's the problem I have. You've known, you've known for a while now that you've been contemplating this. So you should have taken me behind to the coach and be like, You know what i'm done i'm done but you're gonna wait until game day where we're all depending on the next man Victor, you know this absolutely you're only as good as the next guy that you're playing with and then you're gonna pull a punk move and walk out basically while nobody nobody's watching nobody can see you and just take your stuff and run what kind of punk does stuff like that you just walk out on me guys who like we talked about earlier we depend on each other to, to you know, to make money, to feed our
2: families, and all these type of things. And then you walk out. Damian Woody from ESPN's First Take. Those are some strong words
3: from a former player who, unlike a lot of our local pundits, understands what it's like to be part of a pro football team. In his twelve years as an NFL player, Woody was a starter in all of them, right up until two thousand eleven. That year with the Jets in the postseason, he tears his Achilles tendon. And after the injury, he tried to rehab it, but realized that at 33 years old, he just didn't have it anymore. And that even if he could get back on the field, there was no way he would be as effective as he used to be. I mean, the guy's a two-time Super Bowl winner and a multiple Pro Bowler. So with that, he said, okay, I don't have it. I don't have the desire to do this anymore. And He retired. And in his retirement speech, cited, quote, the one thing I will say is I'm looking forward to a life after football, especially for my body. He was a guy who knew that he was at the end of his road. And as soon as he started to think that, acted on it. Rather than leading both his family and his teammates down a road that he might not inevitably be able to walk. Now, you can hear that same frustration expressed by Lorenzo Alexander when he says the things that he said in our intro. And for good reason. He understands what a slap in the face it is not just to the staff that trusted and trained him, but also him as a teammate. It's taken as an insult to the guys who shared a logo with him, who were depending on him to help them do their jobs and succeed. I can understand that point. I mean, Chris, in any team sport, the team is only as strong as its weakest player. So when you have a guy who comes into a season with a whole lot of quit on his mind, with a whole lot of "Hey, I probably shouldn't be here on my mind, but I'm going to put this jersey on anyway and go out there," you're not going to be a good team. You're going to be you're going to be Dorn. You're going to be Roger Dorn from Major League.
2: Okay, it says right here in my contract, I don't have to do whatever, and then uh, do the. Lou Brown pisses on his contract.
3: Literally, and the thing that bothers me, I think, the one of the few things that bothers me about this, because again, I'm not really that upset. You forced our defense in the middle of a game to play Chinese fire drill with our secondary, and at the same time, I mean, you just, I think it's a weak move. I <laughs> mean, that's... And I think one of the things that I personally dislike about it most is a point that no one's really hitting on. I mean, you hear a lot of tough talk. Here's what I look at. Heading into training camp, Davis was pegged as our number two cornerback out of the box. And when he was healthy, he saw all kinds of time with the starters and didn't fall on the depth chart. Nobody else got his snaps. Knowing now that he was doubting at that point that he could live to fulfill this role, It's worth questioning what some of these depth players. I mean, Chris, you heard me trash the the secondary players in our first preseason game for not tackling and not being where they should be. And that comes from lack of reps. I mean, yes, you can blame it on lack of upside, you know, talent overall. But some of that also lies with the lack of reps and work with the coaching staff. I mean, these are all young, raw guys who need as much attention from the staff as possible. Having Davis pegged in that slot, knowing he wasn't going to live up to that obligation when he signed the contract. I mean, that's you passed over some guys for for work with these coaches who might have turned into something. And I'll take that a step further based on something Damian Woody had to say. Everyone out here is trying to get paid. Everyone out here is trying to make money. What about the guys who didn't get get a roster spot? and didn't have a shot at cracking our 53 and earning a, earning a sizable check that could probably go a long way to helping them pay you know, take care of their families. That spot went to a guy who had no heart in it. That's insulting. I, I would be offended by that as a player. I would. To know that I could have probably, if I'm a Breon Borders or a... Uh, you know, who are some of the other guys that we had in here as depth cornerbacks? If I'm one of these guys, and I didn't make this 53 man roster because they gave us because they had to have a spot for Davis, and Davis quits like that, I'm gonna sit here and wonder. Well, then why didn't you just quit back then and let me have a a better shot at making this? Because I could be cashing paychecks that might be helping my family.
2: What about could this have been uh, like uh, another uh, f- fuck you? Because we because. Uh, Week one, we went uh, fuck you. You're inactive. Maybe that was a part of it. But then again, if
3: he was dogging it to the degree that I saw in the first quarter against against the yeah, he was getting worked against about the, against
2: the Chargers. The
3: Chargers. I can see why they made him inactive. All of it being said, I can see the hurt feelings on behalf of the staff, the team, and NFL players everywhere who know what it's like to make the decision to retire and yet did so in a way that didn't disrupt the careers of the people around them. But as fans, this is where this is where I draw the line personally. You're all flipping out about this, acting like it's the end of the world. You all need to pump the brakes for a second, okay? <laughs> Vontae Davis, hot take, is just another name in a long line of Buffalo Bills quitters. I mean, come on. As I do with all things of this nature, I've decided that I'm going to make light of it rather than let it bother me. I mean, that's how you deal with this stuff. And in the process, Chris, I've come up with a question for you. Is Vontae Davis really the worst way that somebody has quit on the Buffalo Bills?
2: Yes, halftime. He quit at halftime. I mean, at least Gerald Talley had the decency to bring a U-Haul to the stadium. (laughs) Oh, wait, no, that was actually with Atlanta. That was when he quit on Atlanta. That was when he quit with Atlanta. (laughs) He showed up to the folks. For those of you who don't
3: know, Darryl Talley in his final season with Atlanta, he knew it was going to be his last game. So he packed his entire apartment into a U-Haul and drove the U-Haul to the game and parked it in the player's parking lot. And then after the game, just left. And that was it. And before the coaching staff, the coaching staff didn't even know that he had left the city. He was just gone. That's a that, that's a that's a big quit. I gave it a lot of thought, and here's what I came up with, and I refer to it as the hierarchy of Buffalo Bills quitters. And it starts with head coach Doug Marone. It was an easy one. I mean, he ran at the first sign of ownership change before even bothering to meet the new the new owners or find out what they'd be able to give him, what their vision for the team was, w- whether they'd be offering him a raise. At the same time. I mean, mean, Chris, they hired Rex Ryan for a million dollars more than they were paying Doug Marone.
2: That's sad. (laughs) That is sad. At least stick
3: around and kick the
2: tires, man.
3: Instead, he took his $4 million and ran, thinking he had the New York Jets job bagged. It was his. And then it wasn't. I mean, (laughs) mean, but then again, Chris, I'm a guy who believes in self-preservation. I mean, I'm like George Costanza in a flaming building. Women and children and uh, clowns be damned. You all better get out of my way, because I'm the most important thing in the room. I can completely see why he would rather take his cash and run. So, I mean, do I have some sour grapes? Maybe a few, but you look at the way the rest of his coaching career's panned out, I think he's doing all right. He doesn't miss his time here in Buffalo. Head coach Mike Malarkey. (laughs) Mike, he sucked. He also... Chris, he quit on the team, but he was also hired. He got stuck into that awkward J.P. Lawsman, uh, Kelly Holcomb. Are we into Pew? (laughs) My old apartment. Throwback for you old listeners. That
2: never happens. That second one just right by. Look at that, Chris. I don't even live near a police station.
3: (laughs) Mike Malarkey was a guy who quit on this team because he was forced into a tough situation with the senile general manager and Marv Levy and two quarterbacks that together don't form one decent quarterback. (laughs) So I can see that coach wanting to quit. Chris, do you blame him?
2: I don't know why you would want to leave Buffalo. I mean, I love this city. (laughs) Malarkey don't get it. That's why he's a piece of shit. (laughs) Another famous Buffalo Bills quitter.
3: I mean, famous in terms of he made Deadspin and uh, Barstool Sports. WGR radio producer Ryan Gates. This poor schlep, who I share a hometown with, was the producer of a local radio show in the afternoons on WGR Sports Radio here in Buffalo. He was so disgusted with the selection of Josh Allen that he made good on his threats and quit radio, trading in jeans for khakis and button-downs, and joined the allure of corporate dollars, leaving us radio listeners with whatever the hell Derek Kramer and Joe DiBiase are supposed to be. <laughs> Damn you Ryan How how could you do this to me I'm angrier about that Than I am about Vontae Davis Linebacker Tom Cousineau For some of you older guys This son of a bitch Got drafted by the Bills Using the pick that we got In exchange for OJ Simpson And then said that the team was so bad He left the country And went to he, He fled to Canada to go play football Rather than play a game in a Bills jersey and we wasted a number one overall pick on the guy. And yet people aren't as angry about that as they are about Vontae Davis. Or, Chris, the top of the mountain for me. The king, he sits on the throne as all-time famous quitters on the Buffalo Bills. The worst thing you could do You could quit on the team while still strolling around the facility accepting a goddamn paycheck. Have we all forgotten about quarterback Billy Joe Hobart already? That that massive forehead of his. Chris, he was a backup quarterback. And seven friggin' weeks into the 1997 season, he started a game for us against the New England Patriots. We lost 33-6. And then afterwards, he thought it was a wise idea to admit that he hadn't bothered reading the playbook. The playbook. <laughs> but still had the balls to cash those paychecks every week.
1: He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. Parents are probably idiots too.
3: Chris, I don't know how that uh, that's got to be worse. That has to be worse than quitting a single game at halftime on your franchise, right? No. No, no, the you, dude took you, you, free money and never read the playbook.
2: Yeah, Vontae Davis took $5 million and left at halftime. And we
3: got he all of it back. He couldn't finish
2: a game. And we
3: got all of it back.
2: I haven't heard anything about that. Most, Almost all of his salary is recoupable by the team. It friggin' better be.
3: Meanwhile, Billy Joe Hobart strolled around making money, shaking hands, doing God knows what, playing grab ass during practice because he sure as hell didn't know where the receivers were supposed to be.
2: Yeah, but that's because (laughs) that this is going to be worse than Billy Joe Hobart for one reason. (laughs) One reason only social media. Oh, who gives a shit about what other people social media (laughs) makes a big difference.
3: What's the purpose of all this? Me dragging all of (laughs) reopening a lot of these wounds. It's simple. There's a lot of fans out there who, for some reason, feel like Dave is pissed in all of our cornflakes by leaving the way that he did.
2: Oh, not cornflakes. Cheerios. We make Cheerios downtown. (laughs) Pissed in our Cheerios.
3: Chris, at the end of the day, you're talking about an old cornerback who looked like an old cornerback. And in the game that he actually got to play in, was a monstrous liability for our defense.
2: Yeah, he's a boob.
3: We got better the moment he left the field. I I guess if you're listening and you feel this way, I'm not saying you don't deserve to feel that way if that's how you decided to lean. You all can do whatever the hell you want. I mean, I do. (laughs) Me, I just shrug at it because at the end of things, 50 years from now, Maybe even let's go even further. A hundred years from now, when the NFL doesn't exist anymore, it's been replaced by some new sport, like how rugby, like how uh, yeah, worldwide rugby. (laughs) And the Queensland Reds are the New England Patriots of worldwide rugby. (laughs) And we look back on the history of the NFL. Vontae Davis quitting at halftime is going to be nothing more than just a sad footnote in what is a larger book of Bill's failure. Well, yeah, and in that way. You can't hurt me. You sure. can't. You can't make dude, me angry. I'm, about dude, I'm this. sure
2: someone's gonna one up him and quit pregame.
3: <laughs> what well, th- I mean, I, we didn't even get into some of the more embarrassing moments, Chris. Like uh, the time that our Mike, our wide receiver Mike Williams, was spotted jogging across the parking lots for a home game in full dress because he was late to the game by like three and a half hours.
2: Yeah, I don't remember that.
3: Oh, yeah. People looked, or fans looked around, and they're like, wait a minute. Who's that guy in a a Bills uniform? Oh, shit. That's a receiver. Why why isn't he already out there for (laughs) warm-ups? Oh, guys, this is nothing, and it, too, will pass. Speaking of what has passed, that brings us to our Week 2 recap. Chargers 31, Buffalo Bills 20. Stats of the week. Chris, I'm opening another beer. You as my witness, I already have a full one, but I'm going to need it to get through this.
2: <laughs> yeah, why don't you just drink the one in your left hand? Because this is, hey, listen, it's go time.
3: Stats of the week. Josh Allen, 18 of 33 for 54%. One touchdown, two picks, five sacks, eight rushes for 32 yards. Phillip Rivers, 23 of 27, 85%. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. Melvin Gordon, nine rushes for 28 yards, one, (laughs) oh my God, one rushing touchdown on a single 20 yard run. Then he went six of seven receiving for 38 yards and two touchdowns. The Bills' running backs by comparison, 14 rushes for 52 yards and a 3.7 yards per carry. One touchdown, 12 yards per reception on seven catches, and 90 yards receiving total. Wide receiver Zay Jones, two of three for 63 yards. Safety Derwin James, one sack, eight tackles, and multiple quarterback pressures.
2: Dude is all over the place.
3: And I have a note here. Marcus Murphy, two kick returns for 48 yards. Murphy is currently leading the NFL with 213 total kick return yards, and he's averaging 30.4 a touch and 106.5 per game.
2: No one is within 50 yards of him. That's not surprising. Because how many kickoffs do we get a game? Shut up, Chris.
3: Shut up, Chris. Don't take this from me. All right, so before we start really launching into the synopsis of the game and what I saw, let me preface everything I'm about to say with the following statement. Over my 20-something years as a Bills fan, I've watched some atrocious football, some god-awful football, the kind of football, Chris, that makes you want to throw chairs like Bobby Knight <laughs> or curse like Mike Tyson or just go cry in a hallway like you were Chris Bosch. I've seen it all. I've experienced it all. And because of that, I do feel like, I mean, I don't know if it's a, its kind of an extension of our Vontae Davis conversation. I'm armor-plated coming into this season. Having just watched our team break the drought, knowing everything I've seen out of this football team, this season can't break me as a fan. <laughs> and hopefully there's a lot more of you out there who are willing to join me in that. You can't. Years ago, I started analyzing statistics, film, and reviewing everything that goes on during game day because regardless of how painful it might be to relive it, I always felt like it helped when I could sit down, take the data and review what was happening and find a silver lining somewhere and identify proper places for blame, trends, just kind of give my misery a little bit of context. It was just my standard way of coping. Even if it does, in the process, end up frustrating me and forcing me to drink a 12 pack. Having so, I, I've brought that. I mean, that's what spawned this podcast. Now, this season, it's hard, It's been hard to tell what was going on until now, because when you think about it, it, it's hard to identify trends in a vacuum. You know, one game of NFL football week one, when you get blown off the map, it's hard to really identify why. You're just looking at it like, wow, everything that we're doing sucks. And you can't put any context to that. I think after two games, we're starting to see the emergence of some of the things that will define the 2018 season, though. And it starts on the defensive side of the ball. Chris, you were surprised to hear this off air before the show even started. Rivers as a quarterback. Okay, let's start on the defensive side of the football because our flaws there continue to be exposed and now we're starting to focus in on what they actually are. Philip Rivers only attempted one pass. Okay, you look at his yardage, his completion statistics, you you would think he carved us up. Only attempted a single pass of more than 10 to 15 yards from the line of scrimmage. One single pass.
2: I would think one pass over 10 to 15 yards, they're doing that because they're going to pick on our linebackers.
3: 100%. And that's why, so in these instances, when I see what I saw on Sunday, I turned a pro football reference for a lot of my research. I, when you think about it, even though stats can be twisted to fit a narrative, kind of like Tyrod Taylor being a top-tier uh, quarterback in QBR, despite average win-loss record and a poor passing statistic every week.
2: I oh, should hear... I'm not- Not to get off topic, but you should hear Colin Cowherd talk about Tyrod Taylor. Fantastic. I can't (laughs) wait.
3: But across a long enough period of time, they can point to things that do and don't work. What doesn't work in 2018? Sarcasm alert. It's shocking. Allowing a high completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks doesn't equate to wins. What was surprising to me is the scope of it league-wide. Through two weeks of NFL football... Teams that have allowed their opponent to complete 70% or more of their passes had a combined record of 5-13. and And of those five winners, three of them had multiple turnovers generated by their defense. So the picture that this paints for me is that when you allow a quarterback to not turn the ball over and complete a high percentage of passes, your chances of winning are almost non-existent. I know. Shocker. Some of you are probably like, God, Drew, you're an asshole because everyone knows that. So how does that apply to the conversation at hand? Well, I'll tell you. The Bills are currently 0-2. In each of those losses, they've allowed their opponents to complete more than 70% of their passes, have forced zero interceptions, and have allowed 492 yards through the air. At the same time, through two games, those same quarterbacks both Joe Flacco and Phillip Rivers have only attempted three passes of 15 yards or more through the air downfield. All of that yardage that's been compiled, none of it has come from challenging the Bills down the field. This is where you can look at data and start to find context for football. Last season, our defense kept us in a ton of football games that we won by really close margins. Five of our nine wins last year came by less than a touchdown, and most of it was driven by turnovers. Of our 18 interceptions in 2017, 14 of them came from three players. Safeties Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde had 10. Trey White had five, or excuse me, four. So is it a shock now that the tape is out there? You know, last year nobody knew what to expect from our defense. Now that the tape exists on these three players, is it any shock considering how good coordinators are at the NFL level that they simply avoid throwing into the coverage of those players? I mean, Just look at Melvin Gordon's stat line in the passing game. He caught almost 100% of the passes thrown his way and multiple touchdowns. Why? Because teams are choosing not to try. To, hey, listen, we're not going to challenge them in the secondary. Instead, we see the fact that We've got a rookie linebacker.
2: Second-year linebacker. A
3: second-year linebacker who has athletic limitations. We've got a cornerback who, I mean, last season, one of the things I constantly bang the drum about was that with EJ Gaines on the field, this defense gave up 100 fewer yards. The reason for that is because EJ Gaines isn't a great coverage cornerback. What he is, though, is a very good cornerback at seeing a pass, watching it get completed in front of him and tackling the, the receiver for almost no game after the reception anyway. So with that being said, we've gone into this season with a revolving door at our second cornerback position and our slot cornerback slot has been banged up. So is it t- a shock to anyone, given those circumstances, that coordinators wouldn't say, hey, let's not challenge these Pro Bowl caliber players over here who have proven they can take the ball away? Instead, what they're going to do is they're going to throw the ball short routes, two yards, three yards from the line of scrimmage, and let those players run headfirst into our zone coverages, and force us to make plays after the fact. So far, the youth on our defense right now hasn't been up to the—they haven't been up to the task. They just haven't. I mean, you throw the throw in the fact that Lorenzo Alexander is more of a run specialist than a pass rusher at this point in his career it's a recipe for success. If you're an offense playing the Buffalo bills, the chargers came out and executed that game plan to a T all, but one of their passes were made within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And we had no answer for it in that first half. And the lead that they built proved to just be insurmountable. Edmonds in particular had a brutal first half. I mean, one of those Melvin Gordon touchdowns was a blatant blown coverage by him. They, they, Picked on him, Chris, a lot in this game. They went right at him. His athleticism is evident. But watching him play, it's like I'm reading his draft profile. That said that his athleticism is going to get him out of a lot of jams, but his ability to understand the nuances of NFL football isn't there. He's raw from an instinct perspective. And that's the reason why Roquan Smith was the number one linebacker taken in the draft and why he was always going to be the number one. Because the only thing Trey Trey Edmonds uh, didn't have that he had was those instincts. He hasn't developed them yet.
2: Yeah, but isn't Roquan Smith not 20? That's true.
3: Again, an older player, better instincts. That's not to say Edmonds won't get there. But Sunday was an example of what happens when you put a kid who's not up to the task of NFL caliber coverage, and a team knows that, and they just go right at him.
2: That happened on one of... Uh, Melvin Gordon's touchdown passes like broke across the middle. And I mean, from watching the replay, because obviously I wasn't there to see it live because I had left, (laughs) but he, you could tell rivers held him with his eyes and then Gordon just slipped down behind him. And he had like a four yard cushion, easy touchdown. It's incredible to me.
3: And then, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got Lorenzo Alexander, who has all of the fear, the instinct in the entire world. Just doesn't have the athletic ability to get out there and cover in space. And again, teams beat up on us for it. The same way they did last year when EJ Games was out and we kept trotting Lorenzo Alexander out there. I mean, it's just... Oh. And then... Oh, I mean, I mean, look at Lorenzo Alexander. He didn't disrupt. Re- I mean, he finished with two tackles and one pass defended, even though he played fifty-five percent of the defensive snaps. And in Matt Milano, who played seventy-five percent of the defensive snaps, but only accounted for one tackle in the passing
2: game, with
3: no passes defended and five total tackles.
2: I sounds like we could have got a better stat line from a statue. <laughs>
3: I mean, I just. What we saw Sunday in the first half is the blueprint for everything that's wrong with the way that the roster is currently constructed. And that's how every offensive coordinator is going to attack us from here on out, whenever we're in a base 4 3 defense or in a nickel with uh, backup caliber DBs playing in the slot. At the same time, I'm not going to bag on these guys too hard because that second half defense, that's. I mean, Chris, when I talk about going into these things and looking for silver linings, that's the, This is one of those moments. I questioned this staff during last week's podcast. I questioned their ability to coach. I questioned their decision-making. I questioned, I questioned their approach to football. Sunday, I got some insight as to how McDermott, who is the head of this food chain, is willing to operate. You're talking about a guy who saw something that wasn't working his defensive coordinator, even you know, series after series after series, wasn't able to implement anything that was working. Okay? He couldn't slow, he couldn't stop a nosebleed, to quote Bart Scott. And instead of just sitting on his hands and going down with the ship and taking the L, he decided to do the thing that got him promoted to the level of head coach in the first place. He took back over the board and started calling the defensive plays. When McDermott took over the play calling, a lot of things on defense tightened up and we stopped getting gashed by all these short passes, which, hilariously enough, coincided with McDermott's willingness to put a third safety on the field in lieu of putting another cornerback out there in the slot. Chris, how much time have I spent during the time that McDermott has been our head coach talking about cover three and big nickel formations?
2: God, Drew's just ripping ass over here. Answer is that, the question. Is that, is that where you bring that third safety in? Yes. You bring a sure.
3: third safety in, you have him play the slot. I At mean, least a, once
2: or twice a season. Here's
3: a player, stout against the run, veteran guy in Raphael Bush, who can also play the pass. Okay? When they changed the formation and McDermott took over play calling, I mean, the change was, I mean, Chris, it's night and day. The Chargers' first three drives in the second half all resulted in punts and had gains of four yards, three yards, and four yards. Okay. In the second half, the Bills' defense forced 14 plays of two yards or less and three of Rivers' four incompletions. Think about that. We went an entire first quarter of NFL football without, without forcing more than one incompletion. You deserve to lose a football game based on that. You do, but I'm impressed with the way that they rebounded. I'm impressed with the response and I'm impressed with the coaching decision. That is what a defensive coordinator looks like. Somebody who sees what's happening and makes real adjustments for it. When Mc- McDermott hired Frazier. Okay? He hired Frazier to be that guy for him. The guy who sees these things and makes those adjustments so that he can manage the team as a whole. But for my money, I as a fan like seeing that my head coach isn't scared. <laughs> he's not scared of public perception. He doesn't care what the media is going to say. And he's not going to sit back and take the loss if he thinks there's something he can personally do about it. So I, I have to raise the question, Chris because there was a lot being made of it. There was a lot being made of it by Bills fans, by the national media. In a league where head coaches like Doug Peterson and Sean McVay are called geniuses because they call their own plays, because that's what got them to the level of head coach was their offensive acumen. Why is it somehow a bad thing that ours, who was getting his ass handed to him, for a half a football, demoted his defensive coordinator, took the reins, and kind of, fixed what was wrong simply by being the defensive coordinator that he was that got him here in the first place. How is that wrong of him to do the same?
2: I heard none of this. I, I know that he took over play calling for the second half, but I have not heard anybody uh, national or local like oh, bash I've, him. I've seen it.
3: I've seen, oh, we'll see. This is how dysfunctional the bills are. Their head coach had to take away the job. Some teams don't even have offensive coordinators.
2: Yeah, we were one of them back in the day. <laughs> we, well, no, uh, Chan Gailey. We had a guy that, like, he was the offense, like, who uh, Curtis Motkins.
3: And those offenses scored points. The defense yeah. just couldn't do anything. Yeah, Motkins. Remember Dave Wanstead, the the, the like Ugh. Tom Selleck wannabe. Who was our defensive coordinator?
2: That's probably how he got his job at Fox, looking like Tom Selleck. But Curtis Mockins, I don't think, called plays. Yet he was listed as an offensive coordinator. I'm just saying, it actually
3: makes me feel good knowing that I've got a coach that says, hey, there's something wrong, and I don't care how it looks. I don't care what people think. I have, I can do something about this, and I'm going to. And it ends up helping the football team. Chris, you, you can't underscore. You can't undersell that concept yeah. as far as what it tells you about our coaching staff.
2: Yeah. I'm just going to be curious what's going to happen throughout the rest of this week and how that's going to affect <laughs> uh, Sunday against Minnesota.
3: Well, that's the thing. The coaching staff, the center position, there's all kinds of things that, as McDermott loves to say in his uh, Coach Ambien uh, style, it's quote-unquote under-evaluation. <laughs> Oh, now, speaking of the offense, the offense didn't do itself any favors in the first half. I mean, Chris, they walked away with six points. There was that one big 57 yard pass that Zay Jones tried to drop and didn't.
2: We only got (laughs) we had six points in the first half. And then you left after the second drive. I didn't see you at all. I don't know where you we were. Like, I to told go you, get-
3: I was watching the game in the concourse. It was too damn hot, and I'm too fat for that.
2: Well, you told us. You were like, yeah, I'm going to go get some water. I'll be right back. <laughs> never. <laughs> I
3: never came back.
2: You never came back.
3: Me going to get water is code for I have to go to the bathroom urgently. You and mean- then I, I ran out. Went to the bathroom, came back, got a beer, got a water, sat in the shade, and realized how comfortable it was without the sun just beating down on me. Like anybody out there who's played Mario Brothers three, there's that level where the sun is just angrily trying to kill you throughout the entire. That's how I felt about the sun on Sunday.
2: I, well, I'll tell you, <laughs> after the game, after the game on Sunday, I literally messaged one of our listeners, Mike Crow, and I said, "I'm glad you didn't come." Because his flight got uh, delayed and canceled because of uh, hurricane, hurricane hurricane gear or whatever <laughs> whatever no, is,
3: hurricane gear was going on under a tailgate at about twelve is, ten
2: whatever is floating around <laughs> in the in the Atlantic hurricane Florence yeah sure you uneducated
3: swine well,
2: yeah F is close to G hurricane gear I told my I told Crow I messaged him and I said yeah hey, good thing you didn't come. I have not seen Drew since the second drive. I don't know where he is or where he went, but I can tell you this, 100% sure he left. So I'm glad that you didn't fly up here from Florida because he's like me when I went to my when I met you, I went to my first like Bills game against the Browns and I specifically got tickets. You picked a Browns game. That those things you are left an insult to
3: the game of because the, the Bills playing the Browns is an insult to the game of football. And it's like getting bleach in the eyes. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna put I'm not gonna put up with any more of that than I than I have to. Okay,
2: well we okay, well we won that game against the Browns in the second half. Who and, cares? And We're talking you,
3: about something else entirely yeah, right now. And not you, your
2: life story, and Chris. You said that the that the Bills won because you left. Now, I t- I, that's what I told. Crow. That's for, for, what I told Crow. What I
3: love, folks, is that Chris has found a way to make this podcast all about telling the story of me leaving early.
2: Yeah, because you but just, no one cares. You would have. I was. That's why I told Crow. I was like, I'm glad he didn't come because that's what you would have got to experience. Like you're like, oh, I'm so. I get to see Drew in his natural habitat. But he
3: wouldn't have been seeing us because he would have
2: sat somewhere else entirely. Yeah, he was in two hundred. He was a couple was supposed to be a couple rows behind us, and then you would have left at the after the you second do drive. Do realize
3: that you've spent more than ten minutes of this podcast sounding like a whiny little bitch? Like you're like my girlfriend now, complaining about oh well he left somewhere.
2: Well, I'm telling you, that's how you come off, Chris. Every I'm t- everybody that listens to the show would love to hear love to be able to watch you watch a game.
3: No, just you, Chris. You're the only one. I don't know if you know that. You have a sickness that most people don't have. Now, getting back to the point at hand, now that you've wasted 10 minutes of everybody's life that they can't get back like the speech from Billy Madison. Um, Talking about the offense, on the first few possessions, I mean, it wasn't really, there wasn't anything it could do. Bad field position, poor run blocking. I mean, you get pinned back inside your own 20-yard line, You're not going to turn the kid loose on a (laughs) rollout. You're not going to let him drop back in the pocket on his very first NFL series. So they tried to run the ball three times and just got bottled up. And they had to punt. Gave the Chargers good field position, turned it to points. Second possession. Similar set of circumstances. This was a team that was built to win by running. So... There's no reason Allen should be attempting 33 passes. I'm sorry. There isn't. I mean, the running backs only had 14 rushing attempts. That's a
2: problem. Well, yeah, you don't run when you're down. And when you don't have an offensive line, you can't run.
3: Well, but, but so this is my point. You need to find new ways to run the football. I don't care how you do it. You're an offensive coordinator doing your job at the NFL level. You have to be better than this. There is no reason that your rookie quarterback in his first start ever should be throwing the ball 33 times and your running back should only be running the ball 12. 12, Chris. I don't know that we've rushed that few number number of times in any game since we got LaShawn McCoy on this roster. And I don't care if it had something to do with him being injured. What about Chris Ivory? Chris Ivory has a track record of being a decent running back. He's been a starter before. You mean to tell me that you're not willing to try to engineer a way to run the football. You're instead just going to, I don't know, put the game on the shoulders of a rookie and just see how it pans out. That's how you get the result we got on Sunday. You don't run when you're behind. Okay, but guess what? You also don't throw the ball 30 plus times when the guy throwing the football has never done it before at the NFL level.
2: Yeah, that's true, but you're also <laughs> down by 21, and you throw the ball when you're down by 21.
3: I mean, when So when you take a look at Josh Allen and what he put out there on tape, he he, he looked the way you would expect a rookie to look. He struggled, I and mean, th- that's it, he, especially for a guy with his athletic profile. You know what I mean? The cannon arm, but the inconsistent feet, you know, the uh, inconsistent mechanics that he was coming out of college with. The Bills got a lot of credit during the preseason because there were times where he made some really flashy plays that showed off the fact that his footwork had improved. Well, he did the same thing on Sunday. It's just that it wasn't enough to win the football game. He was indecisive when he watched him in the pocket. And you could see him, like, see, see a guy but not trust it and kind of twitch but not release the football. And then there were some other plays where he was so frantic in his progressions that he just missed wide-open targets altogether. And then when he did try to drive the ball sometimes, his footwork simply failed him, especially on throws where he was trying to throw to the left hash or the left sideline from the right side of the field. Whether it was a rollout, whether it was just by design, he would end up having to shift away from pressure to his right and then try to throw back left and his mechanics would just completely fall apart and the passes were sprayed all over the place.
2: Aren't those called Rick Meyer throws? <laughs> oh, I mean it was it was ugly football.
3: In the second half he settled in. He started making some of the plays. I mean, especially with his feet. Chris, there was that one drive where we we ran couple of them were designed runs and one of them was because of pressure
2: i wouldn't know we weren't there he ran
3: multiple times multiple times to get a first down and it kind of for a driver so backed off some of the pressure that the charges were throwing at him because they're like oh shit this guy is willing to run and he can do it he can run away from our linebackers we should probably try to bottle him up his passing got a little bit better but He wasn't accurate, especially on throws down the field, and he committed two turnovers, one of which... Chris, we could have won our bet with Garrett Sisti from last week if he didn't turn that ball over near the 20-yard line. I mean, it's just a bad throw. It's just a bad, ill-advised throw.
2: I didn't see it. I had already left. (laughs) The offense as
3: a whole was up and down, but as someone who didn't like Josh Allen and didn't like the idea of starting him this early in his career... I. I'm willing to admit that he got better as the day went on. And right now I don't feel as badly as I did on draft day, which is the idea of what the season is supposed to be. Chris, right? The idea is finding out who these rookies are, watching them grow, watching them
2: learn. The idea is to finish in third or fourth place, (laughs) get a top pick, trade it away for more picks next year. Come back third or fourth place schedule we dominate eleven and five, we'll see in the playoffs.
3: Wow, I'm gonna hold you to that.
2: right that I mean that's the
3: goal. So, folks, this week we didn't do a hero and a zero because honestly,
2: I mean zero, zero should be you for leaving <laughs> at the after the second drive.
3: I didn't leave going I was out the, in
2: the concourse. Yeah, like a
3: bitch. Watching the same game you were except being shaded and also drinking beers. I'm sorry. I think I won that round. Meanwhile, the hero. still have tits. M- meanwhile, the hero in all of this. Potter? No, I'd, I'd have to say that the hero in all this, if I had to name somebody, I mean, since we're just spitballing, ugh, would be anybody who stuck that came out to the fourth quarter. You guys. Here's
1: the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence.
3: <laughs> you guys are the real MVPs here because that game. I would. I would assume that game. If that game was played in the snow, I'd stand there and watch it all. That game played in that heat, I.
2: I'm not doing that. I would assume anybody that stayed until the fourth quarter were anybody that were was uh, there based on being related to a player and or coach.
3: (laughs) That's it. You are the only people. And if not, kudos to you, Chris. We got to toast him. Cheers to you, people. So that brings us to this week's AFC's roundup for week two. Mm. Don't worry, folks. The Bills weren't the only team to lose by eleven points on Sunday. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! The New England Patriots, Jaguars thirty-one, Patriots twenty.
2: I don't know why you're so like. I mean, I get it. You're so happy that the Patriots lost, but it's the fact that. Three of their first four drives, they scored touchdowns. Their offensive coordinator is Nathaniel Hackett, who you hate. Go back to our early shows. You hate the man. I don't.
3: He's grown as an offensive coordinator, but last year we saw the fact that when he got up and got a lead, he he did what all bad offensive coordinators do, and he turtled there in the uh, the, the conference championship game. He turtled. He got scared. He ran the ball way more than he needed to. Allowed the Patriots to come back, and I blame him for that loss.
2: Apparently, he's not going to do that this year because no. we have a Seagram's thing because you think Jacksonville's going to be in the Super Bowl.
3: Watching what I did of this New England Patriots game, it occurred to me that there are two different types of officiating crews in the NFL. Those that are willing to give the Patriots calls and those that are willing to deny them and. In a way that almost makes them seem like Bills fans. (laughs) Sunday, the Patriots got what I think is the latter group. At one point, there was this massive hit from Jaguars tackle, uh, defensive tackle, Calais Campbell on Tom Brady. (laughs) Oh, my God. He threw the ball and you counted a one Mississippi after it left his hand. And he put a shoulder into him and he bounced off the ground like a basketball. And it got up and there were no flags. I played that hit for my wife and then showed her the hit from Clay Matthews that got flagged uh, (laughs) on Kirk Cousins and asked her to tell me which one drew a flag. She, like a lot of NFL fans, couldn't believe that she had guessed wrong. I think the biggest story of this game, besides the fact that the the Patriots just got mugged by that defense, and there was no penalty help coming, and they couldn't hold up against it, is that they allowed Blake Bortles, Chris, no, I didn't stutter, Blake Bortles, to throw for almost 400 yards, four touchdowns, and just decimate their offense with a wide receiver group full of people that nobody recognizes.
2: I mean, it's not surprising to me. I mean, you had Mahomes thrown for change. You don't like Mahomes. Fitzmagic also threw for all, over 400 yards for the second week in a row. Not surprised.
3: I don't know how the hell Bill Belichick allowed this to happen. And a part of me wonders: is is this a worse, uh, just a sign of worse things to come for the Patriots? I mean, every year they get viewed as a Super Bowl contender. Them getting smashed like that. Just manhandled. I mean, most teams, when they beat the Patriots, do it because they play smash-mouth football and run the ball down their throats. I mean, think about those Ravens teams that
2: beat them all those years ago. I mean, I see this. After you watched a game, did you call into GR?
3: No, because I know better. I don't call into GR for anything anymore. But what I will say is that the Patriots have a they have a matchup this this upcoming Sunday with the Detroit Lions? That's a win. That seems to be every team's cure for what is uh, what's ailing them. <laughs> that team
2: can't. That team. Detroit is uh, the Detroit is the Buffalo Bills of the NFC. It's, it's it's a free win.
3: It's brutal. And then we had two division opponents playing each other: New York and Miami. The Fin's 20, The Jets twelve. It's always fun when your enemies get together and beat the crap out of each other. Although, I'm a little frustrated that they couldn't pull a Brown Steelers and find a way for it all to just end in a tie. That would have been sweet, right, Chris? Sure, yeah. Looking over the stats, I'm confused. You've got Sam Darnold, who just last week was being called the next coming of Broadway Joe. The kid throws for over 300 yards, and yet somehow your team only scored 12 points. (laughs) He didn't get any help from his running backs. I mean, the running backs on the Jets combined for 41 total yards. You look at Darnold. He's got three interceptions through two starts to match his three touchdowns. He's 1-1, and and he's been sacked five times. That's with an offensive line that's supposed to be better than the Buffalo Bills. That number is going to be the thing I watch. The Jets now have injuries to their starting left tackle and starting left guard coming off of Sunday's game, and it's going to be going. They're going to be going up against the Browns and Miles Garrett on <laughs> a short week of preparation. Oh my God! It's going to be really fun to watch that game and see how Darnold responds to not having. Possibly having a shuffled offensive line facing what has proven to be a pretty good front seven. I mean, Chris, can we agree that the reason that the the Browns defense through two games, even though they haven't won yet, they've done, the defense is doing its job.
2: Yeah, they're not that bad. No,
3: the defense is forcing turnovers. I mean, they, they had six turnovers in week
2: one. Like what I, t- I mentioned earlier, you should, because I listened I listen to him today, you should have heard Cowherd praising Tyrod Taylor. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's incredible to
3: me that the Browns defense is doing this well, and yet they're still not finding a way to win on offense, which is hysterical to me. And speaking of Tyrod Taylor, on the flip side, Ryan Tannehill was doing his Tyrod Taylor impression this weekend. Somehow managed to throw th- 168 yards, two touchdowns, and no turnovers, and added 44 yards rushing, and somehow his team won. <laughs> I mean, that's a Tyrod Taylor stat line. Right there.
2: Yeah, Tannehill's been decent all in the, through the first two games, as predicted by our our uh, Dolphins contributor, Travis Wingfield, who is a Tannehill lover. He's looked good through the first two games, back from his uh, torn ACL. Well,
3: uh, one of the biggest bitches the Dolphins fan is ha- fans have had that I can see on Twitter and on uh, the finsider.com no wide receiver had more than 40 yards receiving. And they only attempted two passes more than 15 yards from the line of scrimmage. The dink and dunk offense drives those fans crazy, even when they're winning football games. It's crazy to me. I don't understand it, but they're mad about it. I mean, maybe because they think they're not utilizing Kenny Stills enough, or maybe they're not utilizing Devontae Parker, who sucks, and you should not be utilizing him.
2: They didn't utilize Stills in uh, week two. They utilize him great in week 1 because he's on my fantasy team.
3: Chris, I've never seen a team full of people, uh, a fan base full of people where their team is up 2 and 0 and they're still bitching about the play calling. I'm sorry. You you all can, as a Bills fan who's 0 and 2, you can all go fuck yourselves. Take that, Travis Wingfield. <laughs> That's just another reason why all of your fans can go get bent. Ugh. And so, Chris, here it comes. You might as well start the uh, Darth Vader death march music now. Week three preview. Buffalo Bills at Minnesota Vikings. Uh Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. Place, U.S. Bank Field. Weather, it's inside a dome. And the line, the Bills are plus 16 and a half.
2: I, don't, I didn't get this one. Uh, it's being called by Jim Nance and Tony Romo. You couldn't find a better CBS game? You to put, couldn't find a better game? You couldn't find a better CBS game for Romo and Nance to do? And then uh, I have a theory on this, but I'll let you finish. Well, I was going to just say, 506sports.com, you can go find a coverage map. If you don't want to go to the Billsbackers bar and waste your money, it's going to be on locally throughout the Dakotas, was Minnesota's Illinois's most of New York, but Jim Nance and Tony Romo, like you could, there is a, I'm sure there's a better game on CBS. You could have gave them. I'll
3: tell you why they needed a game where CBS could really, because NFC games, typically, typically speaking, NFC games are on Fox. Fox sports seems to get a lot of the marquee NFC matchups. It's, you know sometimes if it's an NFC versus AFC it can go either way.
2: It's on it's if it's at, if it's at the AFC NFC stadium cuz yep. it's in Minnesota then it's on CBS. So anytime when we get Chicago yep. and Detroit here this year, those games will be on Fox.
3: But so my point is, out of all the games they could have picked to put that crew on, they did the one where when's the last time Romo has been in the booth and really had an opportunity to bloviate about how great Kirk Cousins is? Well, he's gonna get his shot this Sunday.
2: You wouldn't put put them with Oakland, Miami, Cincinnati, Carolina, Denver, Baltimore. Jack, no. I would have I would have given the late no. game Chargers and Rams because those games
3: are gonna be those games are gonna be close games, and this game is predicted to be a blowout. So because of it, they want to have a former quarterback who is who has proven throughout his year or two, year and a half as an analyst that he has an ability to really dig into the quarterback position and speak really well about what a quarterback is doing doing well and illustrate it for fans watching at home. That's why they're doing it. They're doing it so that Kirk Cousins can get the Tony Romo treatment <laughs> because he's going to look like
2: a gem. If you have him in fantasy football folks, he's a must start. I'm pointing out to you here, four of the six broadcast teams from CBS, sport, former quarterbacks. Romo, Green, Gannon, and Dan Fouts.
3: Tony <laughs> Romo's the best announcer.
2: I, I won't dispute, you, dispute <laughs> you on that. But, okay, let's go back to the line. 16 and a half. Do we... What do, what do we do as far as Seager? Uh,
3: I don't want to make a bet. I'm not willing to bet on this. I'm not. Because it's a sucker's bet? Because it's a sucker's bet. 16 and a half You want to bet for the Bills because you're like, well, it's 16 and a half. That's impossible, right? But I've watched this team get blown up by 44 points (laughs) against subpar competition. So, no, I'm not willing to bet on the line with you, Chris. Let me me see a Buffalo Bills win. The week after they win a game, we will go back to betting on the spread.
2: All right. We'll be waiting for a while.
3: With that said, the injury report. Man, I mean, I look this thing over. Both of these teams are walking wounded. There's notable names across both rosters. For the Buffalo Bills, defensive end Shaq Lawson, again, questionable with a hamstring. Ray-Ray McLeod, he's questionable. There's four other people joining him as questionable. LaShawn McCoy, Phillip Gaines, Teron Johnson, and Tywan Jones. Every one of them. No one knows if they're going to be available or not. For Minnesota, it's just as bad. Starting defensive tackle Sheldon Richardson, the former vet, former Jet. He's questionable. Starting center, Pat Elfine. He's questionable to play. Cornerback, Marcus Sherrills. He's, I believe, their interior cornerback, their slot cornerback. He's questionable. Right tackle, Rashad Hills is questionable. Backup running back, Rock Thomas is questionable. And Delvin Cook is probable, but has a hamstring injury that the team is closely monitoring. I mean, Jesus, it's been three weeks. How do we have injury reports this long? I don't understand. Ugh. Guys, you've gotten used to me providing. You know, we try to have guests on here and we try to provide, you know, in-depth coverage of what the upcoming game is gonna look like. Honestly, this week, it wasn't even a matter of not being able to get anybody, so much as it was. I'm tired of talking about <laughs> tired of talking about all these things that could happen and never materialize. Instead, I feel like there's more value to be gained from talking about the things that I'm going to be watching for to see if the team can improve on. I mean, Chris, that's what this season is, whether Bills fans want to recognize it or not. This team was not built to contend for a playoff spot. It was built to kill all of the dead money that was holding our team back from spending as they wanted to in free agency. I mean, that's the reason we have one of the cheapest offensive, if not the cheapest offensive line in football. And it shows. There's nobody (laughs) on our offensive line making more than $2.5 million.
2: Yeah, and it shows because they're terrible. Put Wyatt Teller in for fuck's sake. This was supposed to be a building here.
3: And so because of that, I'm not going to get mad over the fact that the Bills come into a game and can't be competitive. They've purposely hamstrung themselves and said, look, we're not going to go out and spend wildly in free agency. We have $50 million in dead money. That $50 million could equate to five impact players that could be playing on this roster right now. But they're not by choice because the team is choosing to clear the books. They have this draft capital, and they're saying, look, we've got our quarterback. We've got the, a couple pieces in place. We've got two safeties who are studs at what they do, and we've got one lockdown cornerback. We can build around what's here, but we have to clear the deck first. Having said that, (laughs) this season is going to be all about watching how this team grows. So here are the three things heading into this game that I'm looking for. First of all, the interior offensive line. Right now, it's still up in the air who's going to start at center. And after watching Groy, being the guy who pounded the table for Ryan Groy... That's me pounding the table for Ryan Groy to get some playing time. He's looked average at best. Average at best, given his extensive snaps.
2: Well, yeah, You've been calling for him since he got that. Uh, since he got, since we, the Rams, the gave Rams him.
3: tried to take him and we signed him away to make sure they could Yeah, the offer sheet. I said, well, listen, let's play him then. And now that we're playing him, I'm regretting that decision. Not regretting it, but he's been subpar.
2: But you kept him because of his versatility. Exactly. So why don't you, I mean, as much as it sucks, why don't you just put Bodine at center and Groy at guard? And, you and may, then Wyatt Teller at the but other Chris, guard.
3: You're probably, because Vlad Dukas has actually been very good at guard, according to Pro Football Focus, if that means anything to anyone.
2: I think they got their numbers a little skewed there.
3: What you're seeing is a line that they're still trying to figure out who belongs where. You may, you may very well see Groy start at guard here very shortly. Maybe even this week. Now going up against Minnesota, their defensive line is one of the most physical in the NFL.
2: Everson Griffin?
3: Linval Joseph is the guy that I know the most about because he's a mountain of a human being. I remember the draft when the Giants took him. And I said, holy shit, how did we let that happen? They already have edge rushers. How did we get let them get Mount Joseph? This guy, I watched him bench press an offensive lineman off of his feet with daylight under his ankles like two or three times last year. Just completely de-cleat guys off the snap. That's not, I mean, he's a massive human being. Paired up with Sheldon Richardson, the two of them are just incredible. And behind Sheldon Richardson are other defensive tackles who started last year for the team that uh, went to the what, Chris? Almost the NFC champion? What the NFC Championship game?
2: Yeah, uh, I, w- I wish I had a breaking news sounder. Uh, this is from Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post and buddies of Travis Wingfield. Nick O'Leary has signed with the Miami Dolphins practice squad.
3: Fantastic. <laughs> baby hands. Those baby hands will never get cold down there in Miami. <laughs> Don't have to wear gloves. The thing about their in the, the Bills' interior offensive line coming into this matchup, there's a lot of power and a lot of strength in the interior of the defensive line of the Vikings. And the linebackers are also going to be a monstrous problem. Aaron Henderson, one of the best middle linebackers right now as far as 4-3 defenses go in football. The team excels at blitzing linebackers in the A-gap right in the quarterback's face because their defensive tackles are so imposing. I mean, their defensive tackles clear the way and those linebackers shoot those gaps and get right in the quarterback's face. You're talking about a rookie quarterback who's probably never seen anything like this. It's going to be interesting to see how they shuffle the offensive line and what their plan is and whether these guys are up to the task to try to slow that down. That's one of the points of this game I'm going to be paying attention to. The second one, linebacker and safety coverage. If a drunk like me can sit down and figure out how and why teams are picking our defense apart, you can rest assured offensive coordinators getting paid millions of dollars a year have known this for days and are already developing attacks to try and feast on those weaknesses. So that said, it's it'll be on whoever calls plays for us, whether it's Fraser, whether it's McDermott, to find a way to stop the bleeding in terms of the, the short passing game. This, hey, get the ball in front of their zone and just run headfirst into it. I expect to see more of the big nickel formation. Three safeties out there on the field at the same time. But even if that isn't going to that may not even be enough to really help things if our outside cornerbacks and linebackers can't find a way to maintain decent coverage. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can take last week's experience, just that whooping they got in that first half, sit down, drill, talk about it, figure it out amongst themselves, and come into this game and play a little bit tighter play a little bit tighter football. And then the last bit, Chris, which is really where the game lies. If you want to talk about covering the spread or not covering the spread,
2: Josh well, Allen. It all comes down to Josh Allen. Uh, can I I wish I had more I don't know if you saw this. I wish I had no. an, another breaking news sounder. This happened a couple hours ago, but I don't know if you read that the Jets waved your boy or Darius Stewart. Yes. Get him in here We need receivers.
3: Roll Tide, our Darius Stewart. He's a good run blocker, not a great pass catcher, and that's why he's no longer part of the Jets. So back to Josh Allen. No one expects the Bills to win Sunday. The line illustrates that. The line shows it. Nobody has faith in the fact the Bills have any shot at winning this game. 16 and a half points, that's... Like, that's like an NCAA football line. Not a professional one.
2: I think all the other lines for this weekend are within a touchdown. Thank you. Not over two. (laughs) That being said,
3: I don't don't see this as a winnable football game. But on the road, in front of a hostile crowd for the first time as a starter in his entire career, it's going to be interesting to see what Josh Allen has in the tank and what he has in terms of composure. The defensive line is going to pressure him. I'm willing to put money, Chris, on the fact that they're going to dial up some exotic blitzes because he's shown throughout even the preseason into the regular season, he has a problem diagnosing different looks, non-base looks. So with that said, I expect... The Vikings to put the heat on him with some, maybe some safety blitzes, maybe some, you know, 4 3 over where they overload the line and make him try to account for who's supposed to fit what function of the defense. And that secondary of the Vikings is so turnover prone. I mean, they're going to be looking their chops for all those ill advised passes that that pressure is going to create.
2: You remember when uh, Strahan set the sack record against Favre? Yes. And Favre just like... Let "Eh." him have it. Yeah. I feel like Allen's going to do that like three to five times. The
3: story for the game for me, folks, is going to be watching how Allen takes this all in, play by play. And if I see... and just Just to see if I can witness any sort of progress with him as the game wears on. I mean, you think about it. He started off last week's game... He was raw. He looked like a rookie quarterback who shouldn't have been out there. Came out in the second half, found his composure. Got his legs under him. He started running around. He started making completions and extending drives. Started scoring touchdowns. Okay? That's more than I can say for anyone else that you would have thrown in that position. Especially not in their first NFL start. In front of this crowd, you're going to be on the road. It's a, it's a loud environment, a hostile crowd. That pressure is going to get ratcheted up a few notches. Maybe the moment's going to prove to be too big for him. But, Chris, like a salmon swimming upstream, I love no, salmon. Salmon swimming upstream. Maybe Josh Allen can fight his way through this adversity and eventually show us just a little bit more. I'm not asking for a ton. I'm not asking for miracles. But a little bit more of that quarterback that we drafted him to be. If, he, if we can come away with an answer to that, if we can come away with a little bit more of that, I'll see this as a victory for me, personally.
2: Look, I'm just going to be watching the O-line if they give him time to throw the ball. Because no, Again, one, this is no one has had time to throw this the ball. This is
3: where you find out about your coaching staff. And, that's, and I guess that's one of the other things that goes into this. We've already learned, okay, so last week we learned about Coach McDermott. He's not willing to sit by and do nothing while his team fails. If he sees an avenue that he can get involved, he has no shame in doing it, whether he embarrasses his coordinator or not, because at the end of the day, winning is what matters. It's going to be interesting to see now if he's going to take the same approach when it comes to the offensive line. If he's going to have that conversation with his offensive coordinator and with his offensive line coach and say, look, I don't think we're getting a job done here, and we need a change. It's going to be interesting to see how this staff and how this rookie quarterback and how this team as a whole tries to fight and learn and morph and overcome adversity as the season goes on. That's what I'm looking forward to. And if there's anybody out there who's on the ledge who says, Oh, my God, I can't believe this is so bad, to then leave. Because what that says to me is that you haven't been here for the long haul and you don't deserve to be here when we're good. <laughs> you just haven't. Do
2: you have a uh, do you have a score prediction? I've got a score prediction.
3: I do... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to you know what Chris, I'm not going to get sucked into that because I already said I'm not going to bet on the spread.
2: It's going to be 31 to 14 Minnesota. 31
3: 14 is your pick.
2: Yep. What is, right. what is what is what is it? 17 yeah, 17. That's, that means Minnesota covers the spread.
3: I say the Bills score at least 20 points in this game.
2: Really? You think a rookie quarterback is going to be able to drop 20 on Mike Zimmer in that defense? 20.
3: That's my call. Blame it on the beer. Blame it on the fact that I'm sitting here
2: getting – Can that be our secret? As a
3: guy who hated the Allen pick, who didn't want him starting last week. I'm rooting for the kid now. Can that the be a, fact that everybody's down about this, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the contrarian in me, but I'm I'm fired up. Let's can, go. Can let's do this thing. Can that be the Seagrams bet? Win or lose, let's shock the world a little bit. Let's go punch Goliath in the mouth. Do you show? <laughs> We've got something.
2: Do you want? Do you want that to be a Seagrams bet? Twenty for the Bills. I don't think we get there. You obviously think we do. Well. Folks, we'll talk
3: about it off air, and we'll have it for you in our pregame, uh, our pregame segment on Saturday night. Folks, we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thank you for showing up for another edition of the Rock
2: Pile Report. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts.